This is GamesAtWork.biz, your weekly podcast about gaming, technology, and play. Your hosts are Michael Martin, Andy Piper, and Michael Rowe. The thoughts and opinions on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and are not the opinions of any organization which they have been, are, or may be affiliated with. This is episode 372, Metaverse and Lego Standards. Hello and welcome again to another episode of Games at Work.biz, your weekly, mostly weekly, uh, podcast about uh, games, uh, work, uh, collaboration, technology, all kinds of stuff. Um, but um, before we start, my name is Andy Piper, and before we start, um, I have to sadly inform you that one of my two co-hosts, both of whom are called Michael, is in fact not allowed to speak for the rest of the episode. He has to just sit and listen because he, in the pre-show, just committed a crime. A anyway, cardinal sin. It, it was a terrible sin. Actually, no, go ahead. Uh, Mr. Horrible, horrible sin. Mr. Michael Rowe, good to, good to be back. How are you, sir? I am well, Andy. Thank never, you. Never, never, ever do that again. Back. Don't do that. So, 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 so glad to hear your dulcet tones uh, and uh, to have a, a great show. So I'm going to turn it over to Michael Martin. How are you? Fantastic. And we've got a super fun show for everybody here. And um, we're, we're glad to have Andy, you back for your triumphant return uh, after being away for just a little bit on our mostly weekly podcast. We're here to talk about um, Netverse you love and Legos you trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lego you trust. <laughs> so um, that was for you, Michael. Anywho, uh, we're going to start things off with an Ars Technica article and, and another one from The Verge, which both address an important set of standards that are now beginning to emerge around metaverse. And that was kind of why I was thinking about netverse and other ways of calling things something a little bit different than having company titles somehow built into 3D them. internet. Yeah, right. So, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to call it. Um, but the notion here is that creating standards for interoperability, we've talked about this now on more than one occasion, um, is an interesting and important thing. Um, and the way to gain acceptance is you have all of the major players under the tent or in the tent uh, to be able to go after this. And from the Ars Technica article, the intriguing point is that you've got a couple of major players that are not currently in the standards group. Now, Michael, you've had experience in standards group. And what would you say makes the most important difference to the success of a standards group versus one that has some standards and it doesn't get really adopted? So so I've actually, I've done work on ANSI back in the day in healthcare. Mm -hmm. I've done work on uh, RosettaNet, which was a standard for, gosh, some kind of order processing and IT space and blah, blah, blah. PIPs and everything, Uh, as I recall. Yeah. And I'm I'm currently sitting uh, as not quite a full participant yet, but working on another standard for interoperability of uh, development assets uh, from a development management perspective. uh, part of uh, the Oasis group. Um, and the thing that makes a standard group effective is a couple of different things. One, representation by all the major players, right? Two, representation of the users 
of those. So not just the people who create the things that are going to leverage these standards, but the users of the things that will leverage these standards, because then you get real world use cases that help direct the standard. Um, and three, uh, I think, you know, just making the standard activities very open so that you continually expand the scope of the people engaged with the standard. Mm -hmm. So working on it, utilizing it, it, and being aware of it in order to influence it. Um, And so I think that's that's why it's so important that we're at least starting to see uh, groups that are trying to create standards around this space um, the the challenging thing, which is what I think the first article from RS Technica calls out, is um, metaverse standards, especially with the the desire of one company to call themselves meta, right? To kind of stake the ground to say the standard, we are the standard. It's like, let's say there was a standard for uh, making copies of printed paper and the name of the standard was Xerox standard, right? Uh, it, it would set a very different tone than if you were creating a standard for making copies. I think this is worth just quickly running through um, for folks that haven't had a chance to read the articles and maybe coming to this new. So um, they're talking about Meta having formed the Meta standards, Metaverse Standards Forum, with Meta as a founding member, a number of big names, Adobe, Microsoft, NVIDIA are called out here. Um, Adobe, IKEA, Qualcomm, Sony, the XR Association, and then also some standards bodies such as the Konos Group um, and the World Wide Web Consortium and the Open Geospatial Consortium, the two major missing organizations that are called out. Um, but of course, many organizations in this that are not currently part of this are Google slash Alphabet and Apple. Having said that, that, that it also points out that both of those organizations have in the past been part of standards groups and specifically calls out mm-hmm. that in the past, Google um, was was um, part of the VR standards initiative back in 2016 um, that was led by the Kronos group. Um, and uh, isn't you know that's no longer a thing as such right so so this is all kind of there's a lot of shifting stuff happening in the course of just uh, i mean te- we know technology moves quickly in the course of six years um there are a bunch of areas that may or may not be yet covered that might be relevant to a metaverse i'm particularly interested myself to see um a couple of things one being that the w3c is is part of this which kind of gives me a little bit of hope that this is something that, that can yep. go forward and, and be successful because they've been very successful at managing a number of competing interests in enabling the web standards to be relatively successful. Um, although sometimes been very slow to formalize things and allowed folks to sort of create things on their own. Another thing I find really interesting here though, is they reference um, a number of uh, topics that um, may in the future be covered. I'm just checking between the two articles which one mentions the one I was interested in. I think it was the Ars Technica one um, referred to things like, yes, at the very end, it talks about um, potential future areas of collaborative spatial computing, 
um, including uh, end-user content tooling, geospatial systems, digital twins, physical simulations, and online economies. Now, to my knowledge, there are a couple of major projects already in the digital twin space or, or project slash Oh yes, standards groups or, or entities. I know uh, uh, the uh, the Eclipse Foundation um, hosts one of those, so it's going to be interesting to see how the connections form between um, these areas. I think, but we, yeah. I can think within the last twelve yeah. months, we've all sat around a microphone, our own microphones, and uh, and said to each other, you know, it's not a metaverse if you're building individual metaverses. Um, so this is a really promising step in the right it is. direction or in a forward direction and, and may enable some interesting things. I think until we see some outputs and see some real proof of um, interoperability, that's the, the one word we've always talked about, I shall be sceptical. Well, one, one, one point that you made, Andy, uh, and I think this is, this is key, right? Um, there are standards organizations engaged in this activity. Um, and uh-huh. I, I do find it interesting when standards organizations engage, uh, it does make it more serious. Uh, hopefully it makes it more open. Uh, what, I, what I also find interesting is when you get to the point where there are multiple standards groups stood up, trying to create a standard in the same space uh, that can have a positive effect uh, by driving certain issues to come to a fore and getting us to a point where the, the, the de facto standard is the one that addresses the majority of the issues that need to be addressed for that domain. Right. Uh, and so Having you know the World Wide Web Consortium as a member of this, I do think is a really good thing. Well, it lends credibility for sure, right? Yeah, so I, I like that too. But there's also the whole notion of definition and adoption, right? Which comes as a result of this. So a standard can be defined, but then adherence to the standard is going to be crucial. And if we think about Michael, your experience with RosettaNet all those years ago, there was all these extensions of the standard, right? So yes, you could have a a number of entities all agree that here's the standard, but then there's an extended version of the standard. And the moment you start doing a lot of extensions, those extensions are not compatible with one another. Yeah, but uh, well, yeah, I mean, you you see that today with, you know, one of the internet foundational standards of calendaring, (laughs) <laughs> right, there are different calendaring tools out there that are all compliant with the standard. But they have extensions for their unique features, which make it so that the that multiple systems talking to each other can't share a calendar. On the, as uh, an the example. flip side to that is the web standards, where you've seen individual yep. browsers add their own extensions while they worked on their implementations or the thing. So you've had, you know, the the WebKit, Mozilla, um, and and other. Uh-huh. Um, uh, you know, ex- extended attributes to CSS, for example, but over time they've converged and they've been agreed upon and the those mm-hmm. platform-specific things have, have gone away. Now, that's not that's not always the case, and I agree that um, extensions can be a challenge, but they, they don't have to be. Um, just I, I don't know why I'd forgotten what RosettaNet was, but now I'm 
my my memories from 20 years ago are flooding back to me um and uh yeah you, you mentioned it earlier on and then I, and then I, now my it suddenly flashed back into my brain um yeah um this is this is really interesting and it's definitely worth i'm sure it's an area we'll be keeping an eye on and reporting in on as uh as things as we continue. go you know I, I, on the light side here for just a moment um you know, I'm wondering if this standards body would benefit from, you know, all the experiences of the games at work crowd to be part oh. of it as well, you know, so be right up there next to those other large name brand organizations. Yeah, have to yes. have to give that some thought. We may need to have a special session team and we could vote on whether we I, think that's the right I'm thing to personally do. amazed that they haven't already appointed ePred as the chairperson and Uber, UberPred of the metaverse. It'd be the right thing to do, it wouldn't would. it? Um, so, One would imagine. So switching gears a little bit, or maybe switching on a little bit, around an article we saw from PC Mag this week, um, there was a notion around camera on versus camera off. And um, th this is an, an intriguing clickbait title, right? Having your camera off in meetings could cost you your job. It's like, ooh, that, that sounds clickbaity. But... It, it's uh, it's an intriguing social norm that we've all had to experience through pandemic. Uh, we we take advantage of camera on here as we're recording the show over you know Podworld headquarters here to to do those sorts of things to stay in tune with one another. But there are a lot of people who don't, and um, it was an intriguing article to me to just say uh, how how does the fact whether you have your camera on or off for your video conferencing meetings may affect your career opportunities, your cohesion with your team, and the ability to uh, find other opportunities. Because we've had now a couple of years of this sort of thing. How did it strike you, Michael? What, what were the things that grabbed you for that? I, I, I clicked on the bait because uh, I did also find it to be an interesting article. And I remember at the early stages of the everybody's got to work from home right now, um, you know, Multiple of my bosses, because I had three at the time, um, had, had a policy. They say, you don't have to be camera ready, right? That that was the phrase being used, which implied, if you think about it, that at sometimes you need to be camera ready and you should be on camera, right? If it was, it didn't matter, then don't say it. There's no need to say it. Hmm. Um, and hmm. I, I, and. Recently, we've had uh, on one of the teams I'm working on, we've had a, a large distributed team set up with a lot of very new people. And um, I, I find it interesting. There are there are one or two people of the been around for a while. I was going to say old timers, but I didn't want to imply that they're old uh, uh, who who purposely and very aggressively keep their camera on aggressively keeping their camera right. on. Yes. What do, yes. What, 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 is, what is the aggression involved in aggress? There'll be nobody else with a camera on. They'll have their camera on, and they'll be eating on camera, uh, and 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 let other people know. You know, yeah, you should leave your you turn your camera on so we can kind of get to know everybody. And it's like you know, uh, I turn my camera on sometimes. Uh, most of the time, I do it with you know, a background that blurs out the rest of my house uh, because I don't think it's anybody's business that I work with what my house looks like. Maybe I didn't, uh, 
you know, wash the windows that day. Uh, <laughs> but um, I, I, it's it's an interesting thought exercise to see what happens because it's not something that will reflect now. But five years from now, ten years from now, it'd be interesting co to collect the data and then see if there's any type of correlation between those who um, get promoted and those who don't. Now, as somebody who tends to be pretty vocal, that's another thing. If, if you're in a lot of meetings, but you never speak up and you don't have your camera on and you don't contribute, are you adding value? So is that the issue? Or is it the camera? I find this really fascinating. I uh, I think we're clearly talking about the work context here because I can think of situations yes. where you're in groups that rely on um, trust significantly. And of course you do in a work situation, but there are situations where there may be ground rules attached to a meeting group that require either anonymity from a, a visual perspective or, um, you know, ensuring that you know who is present. Um, I've been in security situations where there have had to be visual checks um, to confirm identity, for example. So that's an interesting mm -hmm. angle. The other aspect of it, of course, is though the, the normalization of behaviors. Now, I know my wife works... Uh, has worked with groups that have habitually not had the camera on. Um, and in a presentation situation, it's sometimes difficult. Well, I find in giving virtual presentations anyway, it's quite often difficult to pay attention to the audience to see who's paying attention. Um, but, you know, there's le even less, potentially even less feedback um, than the, the small amount you might get from a visual glance at a screen. Having said that, the work from home situation we've all found ourselves in for the last two and a half years in, in most many cases has been redefining a lot of these norms and also redefining how we work with one another and how we interact with one another in the circumstances. Michael, you mentioned, you know, your home and your background and all of that. And I remember early on, there was some ground rules put down around in my situation, you know, not commenting on other people's backgrounds if they aren't using a filter, which really only came in, Later, you know, the, the, the virtual blurring and stuff has only come in subsequently in that in that period, really. Right at the beginning, these technologies may have existed, but they weren't a part of all the tools. Now they're default options in all of the tools. Um, so I think that it's really interesting to see the evolution of the technology on the basis of the way that people are working, the ways that people are working. I think you're right to highlight the evolution of the behavior and how it impacts, you know, taking those, looking at the numbers, looking at those metrics and identifying over time how they affect behaviors. But I think there will almost inevitably will be also be a difference in work cultures and, and how those things are perceived. If you're in a very corporate environment um, and it may be a, uh, a much, uh, you know, either a longer standing organization or a larger organization or, or more global organization, whatever, those things are going to influence how people use use the technology as well, I think. So, yeah, I, it, it's very much a clickbait headline. You know, if you switch off your camera, you're li more likely to be fired is the kind of impl implication. And I don't believe that at all. 
Um, but we've also read stories in the last six months about organisations that have hired people um, and on the and, and had entirely fake people show up for the jobs, you know, because they never or not show or up, not show up or, as the or, case or, may be, right? Know, build an entire <laughs> company on the basis, in one case in the UK, on the basis of sort of fake people, you know, and um, so yeah, it's it's really challenging. I think there's so much. I, of a challenge and actually this is not part of this story but it's something that came up this week and and, and is kind of in our wheelhouse in terms of topics um amazon announced that you that, that the their assistant would be able to read things back to you in the voice of others uh potentially potentially oh, yeah. people who are no longer with us so you know the technology is becoming significantly challenging to manage in terms of identity how can you be sure that you're talking to or 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 interacting with visually the person that you believe you're talking to or interacting with. I don't know where we go. Are we all going to have to? So you need a really good deep fake uh, and you need uh, for a video adapter and then you need a really good uh, um, A word uh, voice we need some connector. Kind of and then you just write a little script to do, uh, you know, call response type uh messaging and and you attach that to the half of those um there was another story i think this week which again isn't in our list of uh, topics to talk about but um i think it was a you know an identity uh, id by by breathing into a thing um and it was analyzing your breath so maybe you yeah to identify ourselves at the beginning of a call and then everything's good Not that, not that kind of yeah not not the darth vader kind of (laughs) thing now i haven't seen the last episode of obi-wan yet Oh, oh, spoiler, stop. Oh, anyway, stop. not going there, not going there. But where I will... I wouldn't even talk about where, it. Where I would go, though, guys, is we've talked about being camera ready and some of the notions around this. If we now flip that back to our first topic, what about being net, metaverse ready? What about being... what? How avatar do you, ready. Avatar ready. How do you yeah, show up we, for your work we've been, environment, we've been right? We've talking about this oh, for we 20 did that. years, guys. Come on. You know, I know, yeah. <laughs> I know, but it's it's the same thing in a different yes, context. Right, and if you is, can imagine the amount of noise for, are you willing to have your camera yeah. on, and whether that's being considered either aggressive or whether that's considered pushy is, or intrusive, or or, is, or is an eight foot predator right? or a green haired biker punk um, appropriate work attire for a meeting? I mean, I I think we should we should decide on this. I think it was. Yeah, we should have a standard. Or a floating cloud, which I thought was always one of the coolest ones. Oh my goodness. That was cool. So 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 many interesting things here to, to touch on. And and as we, we move from uh the discussion about FaceTime and showing up, what we have a conversation around Apple Watches and something called Watch Tube. Um and before we hit that um, interesting thing for me is I saw a tweet come through on my Apple watch, which had a video attached to it and a little play button. So I pressed the play button and I watched a little video via Twitter on my watch without this particular watch tube environment. By, but by definition, a little video. Yes. Uh, <laughs> a two way <laughs> wrist three radio. Hours long, but it was I'm little. Yes. To watch Avatar 2 on, on my watch. To be I actually downloaded the app and I'm running the um, uh, watchOS 9 beta. Beta 2 hmm. came out this week. Um, and every time I get to the point where it tries to start a video, it just crashes. Uh, but 
you know, I'm running beta, so I'm I'm not, you know, saying that's a, a problem with the app yet. Uh, but but let's face it, for 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 people of a certain age, you want a video watch. That's Dick Tracy. Come on. Yeah. The fact that it's only playback right now, you know, we're getting there. All it's going to take is a little tiny pinhole camera at the top of the watch, and you got two-way video conf- uh, communication on your wrist. Yep. And one would think that's coming at it. some point. Wouldn't that I be fun? It. Yes, I won't use it, but I want it because I'm not camera ready. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see. So it's always good for video consumption, but not video yes. broadcast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, I can imagine the battery burn on the watch if you if you try to watch a two-hour video. It might, yeah, it might make your wrist a little. And your wrist is going to get sore. <laughs> yeah. Avatar, you're going to have to have like a, you know, an armrest or something like that. Get a crutch or a cane and just leave your arm up on it. Well, looking ahead. Oh, that was funny. Well, she found that on the web too. Yeah. So, so look, looking ahead uh, and looking at the time, um, yes. we had a really lovely conversation around standards and around video. And there's maybe one or two other things to touch briefly. Um, Andy, this one was definitely for you about being able to play Doom on a Lego. I'm piece. sure that you um, both spoke about the the Lego bricks with the digital displays in them whilst I was out um, a couple of weeks ago because I'm pretty sure I shared that with you. So there's this guy who's built the these little Lego bricks that reproduce the original Lego space uh, slanted bricks with the with the screens, and he's yep. made little tiny LCD displays that sit underneath inside them and and reproduce the original. You know that you have the you know the the the, the lozenge with three little buttons down one side, and you had you know the, the 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 radar screen and those kind of things. And he built little virtual versions of that, and then he kind of thought, you know what, why not just run Doom on this thing? So you know, running Doom on a on on, why on, not? A, on a screen the size of a thumbnail that fits inside a Lego brick is some feat. It's pretty pretty amazing. And I want, yeah, them. I want absolutely them all, love but, it. You know. Yes. And and there are a ton of other fun Lego things that we've found here. Uh, Michael, you found this rebrickable article. You want to touch on that quick? The the mocks. Yeah, uh, as a as a big Babylon Five fan, uh, um, someone had posted on one of the the, the feeds on Babylon Five um, a picture from inside their house of the um, Agamemnon and the B five station. And people are like, oh, my God, where'd you get that? Pointed to this article. So this is from Brickable, and you can actually get the instructions on how to so build the these you yourself. So MOX just then indicates to me that you're not familiar with the abbreviation MOC. No, Michael did. I say did. MOX? I did. So MOX. I did, and, and that's Listen, true. Adult okay. fan of Lego uh, abbreviation that's commonly used uh, stands for my own creation. So it's uh, that's, that's just, just for, for your information there. There's a, there's a ton right, of no, inside well, th- thank slang you. from our community, you know, so you need to need to get down with the kids. Yeah, you got to learn it all. Well, not get down with the kids because we're adults. <laughs> I've got to collect them all. Who are all like really geeky you about must people, collect I should them. say, not just guys. Yeah. But you you got excited, Michael, by the new uh, the re-release or, or new release of the Galaxy Explorer to celebrate Lego's 60th, uh, 70th, 80th, 90th, 90th anniversary, in fact. 90th, 90th birthday. Uh, yeah. I, wow. I, I did. And the thing that struck me about this one, and this is probably where we have to end, unfortunately, is that I had this set. So for me, this is old, new, coming back again. You had it 90 years ago? Not 90 years wow. ago. You know, look at <laughs> look at the minifigs. They weren't around 90 years ago. It's an anniversary edition. But if you look at the... If, 
If you look at the edges of the ship here, they follow the same kind of edges as you would find, for example, on the space shuttle, which were not the way mm. this was done in the day. Mm. So I still probably have the pieces to this one up in a little cake tin up in the yeah. attic because that's like there's actually a really nice um can't video play uh, they released of both this one and the other one they released um uh, they're releasing for the uh, anniversary which is a, a big castle set um they've done a couple of nice videos on youtube with the designers of those two sets um oh I'll, cool I'll find those and throw them in the show notes as well they're um, they're worth watching so if so if i put on my moccasins and then look at the own creations from others like then it. that would be super cool <laughs> well team uh, thanks for uh, for this great show I'm, I'm glad we are back together again as a whole i hope everybody gets a chance to take a look at these links we'd be interested to see what and hear you think about standards about being on screen um being an adult fan of lego we're always into that sort of thing in case you hadn't noticed um let us know and, and michael where could they find us if they were trying they to they can find us Everywhere where finer podcasts are sold, um, and netcasts. over at um, no, no, there are no such things as netcasts. <laughs> Everybody's given that term up. Um, so uh, you can get us on iTunes. You can get us on Amazon Music. You can get us on Stitcher. You can get us on Blueberry. I know I'm missing about six more feeds that we're available on. Or the easiest thing, go to gamesatwork.biz, our website, and you can pick from your favorite feed and uh, subscribe subscribe to the show that way you get it every time we release a new episode without fail yes all right well until next time we're gonna say see ya and we'll talk to you again real see soon ya. Bye. you've been listening to games at work.biz the podcast about gaming technology and play we are part of the blueberry podcasting network and would like to thank the band Random Encounters for their song, Big Blue. You can follow us on Twitter at gamesatwork underscore biz or at our website at gamesatwork.biz. Mm-hmm.